Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode number 66. And today our guest is Rachel Scattergood. Rachel is a police officer and has been for 10 years. Um, She's served in a variety of roles there. She is also on the board of directors and is the treasurer for Swell, Surf Waves, Enjoy Life. Um, We've had those guys on before, talked about their program. Uh, We talk about that with her a little bit. Um, Talk about just mental health in general in the police service and fire service. Um, So it was a great conversation. We had James and I had a great time making this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. Um, Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, And check out her um, social media stuff, um, which we'll leave a link in the description. But anyway, here is episode 66 of the Washdown Podcast with guest Rachel Scattergood. Um, I occasionally just get little hairs up my ass, like, hey, I'm going to go do this. So one day I was just like, I'm going to go buy a cow. So I went and I got this calf and I brought her home. And I think she was about two days old. And I found this, uh, I don't remember where I saw it, probably on TikTok or something. I saw somebody had this little trucker hat on their dog. And I'm like, that is cute as shit. I'm going to put that on this cow. And I did. And I just happened to get a video of her like licking my pit bull wearing this trucker hat. People lost their minds. I mean, it went so crazy. And ever since then, she's just, people love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I get to to show off all my 10,000 animals on the farm and they get to make little cameos with our, with our star cow. But yeah, she's, she's damn cute. I'll give her that. Yeah. Oh my good. Well, maybe that's what we need to boost our profiles. The cow? <laughs> no, just start making TikToks of the dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, or we have a cow on. That'd be yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Cool. yeah. I mean, it I, might track in a little bit, but. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Slay some know, plastic and newspaper down. I know somebody with a pig. We can. Oh. Yeah. I got one of those too. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have like everything. Yeah, I've I've a got whole... a pig. Her name is Wilma. She's a bitch. She doesn't like anybody. She's so antisocial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This the the guy that I know that has a pig. The pig sleeps in the bed with him. Really? Yeah. It's. Yeah, not pigs, mine. Pigs are very clean animals. Uh, usually says, yes. Says no one who's ever been to a pig farm. Right. Yeah. Mine is, mine is all covered in mud at the moment, but as is kind of everybody with all this rain that we're getting, it's a mud pit. Yeah. 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 It was a. Uh, it was nice outside yesterday to walk two feet from the apron at the station and sink halfway up to my ankles. I went. <laughs> I literally went through. I kept forgetting shit in my truck yesterday at the station, so I kept having to go out and back and out and back. I think I went through like five pairs of socks yesterday because <laughs> I just kept stepping in puddles. Son of a bitch! <laughs> why did not? Why didn't you put your bunker boots on I after the first time? Didn't think that far. The through. second time, the third time, even. I thought I had them figured out. Oh. It's like you know, like playing like the boss in like a video game. Like you figure out all the first moves, you're like I got this, and then he hits you with someone. Like, Son of a bitch! Didn't see yeah. that coming. Except you were playing Frogger, yeah, and mm. failing. You got real bad after dark. <laughs> I'm I'm just impressed that you had five pairs of socks with you. Well, I only unloaded like all the non fire department shit from my bag when I got back from Moab, so I still uh, had all the socks and underwear in there. <laughs> How was that? Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. 
I'm going to rub it in Jeremy's face so much that he didn't go. <laughs> hey, that man. sounds awesome. I st- have you ever been out there? Mm-mm. 1,000% recommend it. Yeah? Well, every like, everything's out there. There's like kayaking, bicycling, hiking, jeeping, side-by-side, motorcycling. Like you can do it all. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool. Sweet. Yeah. So that on the bucket list. That sounds awesome. Just don't do Pritchett Canyon. Oh, okay. Yeah. I fucked my Jeep up. Called it. <laughs> For everybody who's watched the last five episodes, we've talked about this and we knew it was going to happen. So what'd you break? Uh, Crushed my rear tail light. Okay. Which is... I was gonna like pop it out and then put armor over it, so it's yeah, yeah. Um, cr- I mean, absolutely crushed both my rock rails. Like, mm-hmm. so it's gonna be fun. Um, split like my exhaust, so I got like an exhaust leak now from where I flexed and hit a rock, and like I don't know how I did it. Uh, I legit am looking at maybe new skid plating because I fucked it up pretty bad, but I made it out. So it's all good. Uh, Opie grenaded his rear end. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, but we made it out. So it's all good. But it was the hardest trail we've ever done. Uh, yeah. Have, have you never watched it on YouTube? Well, I did. It just doesn't put it in perspective. Until you're like standing up looking at it. And you're like, oh, yeah, that is taller than four Jeeps, just like it looked in the video. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! The only thing that really, actually, what saved us truly, um, is a couple of the bad obstacles had winch points at the top. Yeah. So, like that saved us. Otherwise, we were like winching to boulders that were like, "Please be heavier than the <laughs> jeep." <laughs> oh, it's moving. Okay, you're up. All right, hurry up. <laughs> it was. It was a good test for the Rubicon Trail. I'll say that. Probably what you guys did there is harder than anything on the Rubicon. I don't see how anything could be harder, truthfully. And I don't mean the like toot horns. It was just like, what the hell is going? Like this is not fun. Yeah. First couple were like, Hoo-hoo, yeah, this is cool. After that, it's just like, like literally to get out of the canyon is a forty foot waterfall. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's like the boss at the final level. Just like what the fuck. <laughs> No winch point, nothing. Just- How many video games have you been playing yesterday or lately? Because that's the second reference yeah. in like the past two minutes. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, actually none. I don't play video games a lot. Um, but yeah, it was just like the... Yeah, I can't even say final level because then that would be another video. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just said it, so we're already there. I don't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> Who invited you? Uh. Well... We should get to know her then. Go play with your pissy pig. <laughs> <laughs> she is pissy. Uh, well, Rachel, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, we appreciate for it. Me. Cool. So, why don't we start? You are in law enforcement. Yep. Okay. How did you get in law enforcement? Fell out of the fire academy. Uh, no. Um, first responder right here. First responder right here. Um. Yeah, no. Uh, so third grade career day, actually, we had uh, one of the kids' dads came in. He was an FBI agent and showed us how to take fingerprints off of a glass. And I just thought that was the coolest shit. So uh, I'm like, I want to do that. So I did it. And it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, pretty straightforward. <laughs> Eight years old, this is what I'm going to do. So 
That was what I did. Straightforward. That's why I've like never committed crimes because like I don't know third or fourth grade in Boy Scouts they came in and took our fingerprints and showed us how to do it. And I'm like, well they've got my fingerprints now. I can't. <laughs> right, right, can't right. do anything. Oh yeah. You wear gloves. Right. <laughs> and don't talk to the cops. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm an idiot. They'll forget to wear gloves and then like get home from my crime and be like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the process? I mean. So I'm sure there was more to it than that. So, I mean, did you go to college for um, it? I, I mean... did. Um, I was one of the uh, dumb folks that went and got a degree in law enforcement. Um, I w- wish I'd got a degree in something else because um, you don't need a degree to go into law enforcement. But uh, I did. I went uh, and I got a four-year uh, bachelor's degree in law enforcement. And then I went um, and joined the department here. I'm from Illinois. And I did uh, two internships kind of during the course of school. And the first one was with a local sheriff's department back home. And I wanted to do a federal one. So I moved out here um, so we could, back when they had the the federal complex out on Bannister, uh, interned Mm -hmm. out here with the federal agency. um, And it's just out here is so, so much better than being in Illinois. Really? So I stayed, oh, beyond, I can't even explain how much better it is. Like, what is this, like, cost of living or Everything, to do, uh, or? cost of living, gas prices, um, our government isn't 100% corrupt, the weather is so much better, it, like, it, it's so much prettier outside. Cool. Um, like, Illinois, like, the last three of their four governors, it was a point where the, our three governors in a row had all been in prison. Like, it was... It was some serious corruption going on. Damn, that's some uh, mafia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, when everybody's from Chicago, that's, yeah, that's yeah. kind of how it goes. So, um, yeah, I got the heck out of there. And uh, it's just, it's so pretty out here, especially kind of like in our metro area. And you can go, you know, a 10, 20-minute drive from middle of the big city to out in the country. And you kind of have everything uh, in a short, short distance here, which is awesome. So, uh, yeah, it was just much better out here, and um, I enjoyed my local internship much, much better than my federal one, so I just started throwing applications out and got hired, and I've been here since. Cool. So how did you get involved with, you're involved with SWELL? Yeah. um, So so that, uh, I'm on the board of directors for uh, SWELL, which stands for Surf Waves Enjoy Life, um, and I serve as their treasurer. Um, I got involved with them. I was on uh, actually a participant in their first uh, mission or their first trip. Um, uh, coming up on a two-year anniversary, my buddy was shot and killed in the line of duty. And that was right around the time that Swell started. So Swell reached out to our department and said, hey, we want to send you know his closest buddies out uh, on this mental health retreat. And who should we send? So I got to go with... Uh, two of uh, my buddy Mike's other closest friends and go out on this retreat to California. Um, they, it kind of came about, they contacted me and were like, hey, we want to send you out to uh, LA to go surfing and go on this, you know, mental health, wellness, all these buzzwords mm-hmm. retreat. And I'm just like, oh, you want to send me on a vacation to the beach? Like, all right, I'm in, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I, did not it wasn't possible for me to comprehend how beneficial it was going to be because number one just taking you out of your trauma environment for even just a short period of time 
was so beneficial, especially being so soon after it happened. And really the whole department and a lot of the community going through what we were going through, um, it was nice to be taken out of that where at the time it was just 24 hours a day. Everywhere I looked, if my eyes were open, I was seeing reminders of what had happened. So to be taken out of that environment and be able to just breathe for a second was super beneficial. Um, But even more than that, I had never surfed before. I had never planned on learning how to surf. So you put me in the middle of the ocean and you're like, here's some tips. Good luck. Try it out. You have to be so 100% focused on what you're doing to not like die. Right. Um, So that was really helpful to take off, to take away all of the background noise that was going on in my mind of um, not only like still thinking about what had happened, but also like all all these thoughts going in my mind of, you know, why are you grieving this way? Why are you grieving in this kind of timeline? Why did this happen? All these like background thoughts going on in my head had to shut off because you have to be so focused on all these different things that they've taught you to be able to do it and do it safely that it was really in the height of what was happening, a solid like four or five days of not having to think about it at all. And just having a break from all of that weight and stress and being able to then come back and be like, hey, that was really amazing. I never would have thought that, quote, surf therapy would be so helpful and beneficial. And I want to get involved with this and be a part of it to be able to help other people that are going through other kinds of things to be able to to experience what I was able to to experience. Cool. Yeah, that's, it seems to be one of the things and one of the main differences between fire and police and military and the whole, you know, when you talk about PTSD and trauma and things like that is people in the military, you know, they go off to war wherever and they do whatever they do. The trauma is there. Mm-hmm. So whenever they come home, you know, they might, and I'm not saying they don't see reminders of it right. everywhere you go, but for us, it's, we will drive down the street and go, I ran a dead kid in that house mm-hmm. or, you know, my partner got shot right here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not removed by countries and oceans. Right. It's, it's right here and we're, we're staying in it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, being able to remove and go away for a little while, I I can definitely see the benefit of that. Yeah. Yeah, and fortunately or unfortunately, he was killed a block away from our station. So we we drive by it multiple times every single day. So I say fortunately and unfortunately, like at the beginning, that sucked because you had to constantly see it. But it also helped desensitize us to that location because you had to go by it multiple times a day. So it's now I can drive by it. And not just have this just awful feeling every time I do because we've done it so many times now. Yeah. I didn't realize it was so close like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he was going to work. And it was just, it was right there. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, but you did bring up a good point, Jeremy. It's Especially to, like, kind of in the from a fire station perspective like when you have your district you know I've, even just in a year you you've had probably 20 bad spots bad calls you know a, a cardiac arrest or wrong or shooting or 
a bad wreck and it, it accumulates very quickly and then all of a sudden it's like no matter where you go in your district no matter what block no matter what street that's there's something bad that's happened here yeah just, well i mean i give you a perfect example of that yesterday i was working at my old station and here address come out and we get sent on a call and i'm like nope oh, i know that address i've been there multiple times and it wasn't for anything bad it was just you know a lift assist or you know, whatever, but it was still, I remember that stuff. Right. You know, I know exactly, okay, I remember the garage code. A year Mm -hmm. and a half removed, probably? Yeah, at least a year and a half. Yeah. So, yeah, it just, those kind of things stick with you, and like I said, we just kind of stay in it, Mm -hmm. and I think that's why, you know, in our line of work, we need to be really, really cognizant of our mental health and how we're dealing with it and that we are dealing with it and that we're not just sweeping it under the rug. Yeah. So, I mean, the more programs that we can have or, you know, the more awareness that we can have, it's only going to benefit everybody. Right. And it's it has to be a cultural shift, you know, first and foremost, mm-hmm. it, from the top down and from the bottom up. Right. It, it can't be one way or the other. Yeah. Because everybody's got to be on board. Yeah. And just talking about things like that, like how you're, you're stuck in this environment that you can't really escape – Uh, And just talking with each other about that. And this is why, you know, we have this trauma and and PTSD within our our careers because and obviously we've gotten tremendously better about that over the last several years. Um, But educating even each other, because I've I know several people that are diagnosed with PTSD in, in my field and they have this like imposter syndrome because what we've grown up watching on television is that it's the military that has PTSD and it's because they're in this environment where things are blowing up and their friends are dying all around them and it's so traumatic um and we try to just say well that's ptsd what i'm dealing with isn't ptsd and just educating each other on that and we've gotten i think substantially better over the years but just continuing that dialogue and education of ptsd looks different for different places and different people no absolutely it does it's definitely an individual type thing because you know we can be at the same incident and it will affect us vastly differently. Oh, yeah. You know, it could be, you know, because that kid reminds me of my two-year-old nephew or, mm-hmm. you know, it could be reminds him of his mom or w- whatever it may be. And it may bother him a lot and lead down that road if we're not careful right. where it doesn't really affect me at all. Right. And vice versa, yeah. you know. And then I think being able to have that open door and making it okay that we can talk to each other about that because I mean, let's face it, our departments, yes, we're making strides. We've got the peer support and the EAP and we have all of this stuff, but there is nothing wrong with, Hey man, are you hurting? Mm-hmm. You know, talk to me, right. tell me what's going on. It doesn't have to be official. Right. You don't have to get on the phone and call somebody and make it a big deal. It's totally okay to go, Hey, and then in the course of that conversation, you realize, okay, this is way bigger than what we can just talk out. Mm-hmm. And then knowing, okay, now it's time to bring somebody else in. A mm-hmm. higher level of care. We do the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll go on a medical call and it's like, okay, you can drive yourself to the hospital or no, we need to take you. Right. It's something we can fix or you have to go to the hospital. Yeah. Rachel, I'm curious. In... At least in, like, in the fire service, you know, in Jeremy and I's job, the station has anywhere from four to ten other guys every day. We have a good kind of network around us. It's Mm -hmm. designed to look like 
we call it a firehouse for a reason. You know, it's right. Th- there's a kind of just aura and everything about it that I don't know. I, I guess you could say is inviting. You know, um, my my point being, what what have we seen? We we both kind of agreed that law enforcement and fire and EMS in the last I don't know maybe ten years has made a lot of greater strides, especially as we've seen a lot of veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, transitioning to these fields, and they're kind of being the one raising those flags, being like, hey, kind of the same shit still going on. What's kind of the biggest difference from how law enforcement has grown in that versus fire and EMS? Because one of the big ones that stands out for me is, I, I think, probably the mental fit for duty. Mm-hmm. It's Law enforcement definitely goes through a tighter scrutiny for mental evaluation at hiring and throughout their job, just especially with the nature of what you have to do. Right. Would you say it's slower, faster, kind of adjusted the same as fire and EMS? What have you noticed in the difference with that? Um, You know, we... This kind of has a little tough question there, James. Um, I mean, we obviously have our you know, onboarding process. And that's, you have to go through psych and you have to go through a polygraph and you have to go through these things to make sure that you're mentally fit for duty. Um, depending upon your position depends upon at least where I'm at, um, how often you're doing, or if you're doing like continual fit for duty, like evaluations. Um, there, there are some positions where you're required to do that every year. Um, or like if you're on the peer support team, um, there's we have one coming up where we have to go do a, a mental check fit for duty kind of thing not a fit for duty but just like a check-in like hey you deal with everybody else's crap how are you doing kind of thing um and that's the first one we've done and we've existed for like five-ish years um so we're starting to do that and make that a thing so that's a good good step in the right direction for the peer support team um as far as like a continual um if you're already employed if you're not in a specific position where um where it's required, it's really just a, if we see something kind of going on or, or you're not quite acting the same or it seems like something's off with you, uh, we'll touch put you in touch with the peer support team and get you some resources so that that can be done like confidentially and the department doesn't need to know what's going on with your business, you know. Um, if they think that you're like a danger to yourself or to others, then they'll, they'll forward it on. Um, but there aren't there aren't really like continual as you're employed mental health checks for really the majority of policing at least where I'm at. I'm curious if we were to play the hindsight game and this I guess this is a really hard question. If we look back, especially from the amount of military personnel we've taken on in the last ten years with the conflicts we've had in the Middle East, if we were to reevaluate the way. We look at fit for duty for both of our jobs now. If we would look back and maybe exclude some people, we'd hire. Mm. And I don't, and, and like, not saying that they aren't good at the job, but if, if we look at it, because how many times Jeremy V and I said, like, how is a person's brain supposed to take 30 years of this? Mm-hmm. And if we throw them into 30 years of this with four years of it, almost more intensely before, are we doing them a disservice? Well, what fire department do you know that does a psych test before you get hired? I don't know of any. Some of the suburban areas down south. Okay. So, but then they don't have the, I don't want to say they don't have the call volume that could bring out more issues, but they don't have the call volume that violence. <laughs> so, you don't want to say it, but yeah. I don't want to say it. Right. Well, I mean, 
Yeah, I, I don't know because just because somebody has went through trauma in the past, why does that necessarily preclude them from employment? Because I mean that takes out. Okay, well, yes, I went through trauma in the past. I went and did what I needed to do, saw a therapist, dealt with it, and I'm fine now. So do we believe people can heal from PTS? Or do we not? What What's what's our stance on that? I don't know. I because almost, I almost I, look at it like I'll, an addict sometimes. You're always an addict. We'll see. Let You've me, just been cleaned for a while. Well, let me explain to you. So PTS is perfectly normal. It happens. Everybody regardless of if you want to admit it or not, it happens. Post-traumatic stress is totally 100% normal. Where it becomes a problem is whenever you stay in it and you it doesn't naturally resolve itself, and then it becomes post-traumatic stress disorder, which, if I remember right, it's about a week. A week to 10-ish days. I'm sure somebody can correct me on that if I'm wrong. And... But once you hit that, then it becomes harder to heal from it, and you have longer-lasting effects. It's not impossible to heal from it, though. And, I mean, if it is, then we're writing off a whole generation of people. You know, and I I wonder, look at what we've asked this generation to do. I don't know that you could find anyone other than maybe the greatest generation, and that was 80-some years ago. We, yeah, but those guys had their problems too. It just wasn't yeah, talked about. I I know until and, much much later, and you feel you you figure out. Oh, Grandpa was an alcoholic for twenty years, and he beat Grandma, and it was just not talked about. I just you know you look especially especially with those that served overseas and then come and serve as first responders here. That's a hard swallow to look at what we've done the last ten years to them. Especially those in urban areas. The violence increase. Two years of COVID now. The the just not to mention the public reperception of how they see police. Oh God, let's just look I mean, think about someone that served in Iraq or Afghanistan one or two tours and has been a cop for ten years now. Holy shit. That's probably why we're seeing them leave in record numbers. And I just I just wonder if we were to look if look back and be like tilt your mic. If if we were to look back on it down towards your face, not away from you. Come on, bro. <laughs> Aren't you the sound guy? Is this better? That's better. Can you hear me so much better now? Oh yeah. No, I it's if we were to look back on it and just if we would maybe I hate to say weed them out, but just look at things differently of what we were gonna be asking them to do. Well, I so I don't disagree. I do think there sh- we should have some kind of mental health standard before people come in to the fire service, police departments, any type of public service like that. They they kind of need to know what they're getting into. More of a, you know, but you can gear those tests to make anybody fail. So, I mean, then you're relying on a psychologist or somebody like that who's going to go, okay, this person's okay. And it's, I mean, it's not totally subjective, but it kind of is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, cause they're going off. Of, they don't know that person. Well, it, it's based off the fact, like you said earlier, the same wreck could have two different effects on us. Yeah. And the minute that it does, nothing is objective anymore. Yeah. 
And how do you, when you're putting a gun in somebody's hand and saying, this is a tool to do your job, it's a pretty objective tool for subjective mind. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I am the person looking at it from a business perspective on paper, like who is going to cost me money in a lawsuit? That's a hard task. I, I mean, you you are a cop. You know better than us. We're, we can tell you all day about the fire service, but I mean, looking back on your career, you know, I can't really think of any anybody that's been like, "Wow, how did that dude get a gun? He needs to like not." Um, I think most of that stuff, if you're going to have a significant issue, it's going to be, like, caught in the, our psych, I think, is pretty good, um, and our polygraph is our big, big thing, because right. the psych is, is similar to the polygraph in that it's geared towards you need to be honest, and if you're not being honest in it, it's going to be obvious, and it's probably going to flag you. Um, so it, it's going to ask things about, like, have you ever thought about this? Things that people, like, will think about, but will never talk to each other about thinking about, and you've got to be honest on it. Because they they can figure out like if you're not being truthful, and that's gonna gonna flag that a little bit. Um, but the polygraph for sure. I mean, they can they can tell. And if you're lying on that polygraph, there's no way that you're getting in. So that's that's one thing we just ha- we so stress to our applicants. Like, no matter what question they ask you, no matter if it's embarrassing, no matter if you've never told anybody, you have to tell the truth. Because you, you get caught in one lie, you're not gonna be a cop. You can't because you got to testify at court, right? Mm-hmm. So if you ever get caught lying, even while you're employed, you're done. That's the one. That's like, of course, not the one, but we say like the one sin you can't come back from. So um, I think our on- onboarding processes with us are pretty good. I know there are there are places that aren't as stringent. There are plenty of people that have tested with us and have failed and have gone on to work at other departments. So um, and unfortunately, uh, everybody has their own their own onboarding processes and they could there are a lot of places that could be more stringent and, and better about that because when you hire a bad cop and they fuck up it makes us all look bad so you know it's interesting though we'll just look at just your department alone you say lying is the one thing that would end your career mm-hmm. but how many officers do you think lie about their mental health yeah when you create a culture of honesty mm-hmm. yeah this is the one thing we've just kind of accepted some guys may not be honest with yeah it's, it's just an interesting yeah. Conundrum. Yeah. Do you guys have uh like deep like mental health debriefs after significant events? <laughs> no. We're we're supposed to a kitchen table. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That that seems to have been the best avenue for us. Yeah. Um I'm not gonna do you like, throw anybody under the bus. But, right. Yeah. Do do you guys feel like you have honest conversations when you have those kitchen table type conversations? Do those happen like it, they should? It depends on your crew. Hmm. It yeah. totally does. It depends on where you work and who you work with. And and it's, I would say, like at least speaking for my crew, they're honest, but only to us. Like if, if an outsider were to look, I mean, we ran a, a real bad motorcycle wreck a few weeks ago. I mean, real bad. And like it was this. It was a traumatic experience just for everybody involved. Um, there were some, it was near a complex, so like that complex of security was there. They were kind of shook up by it. Um, it. This person hit a, like a city employee, so she was shook up by it. It was just, just a bad thing all the way around. And 
you know, th- there's that first kind of initial, like we get back to the station, we're cracking jokes about it. There's just the very, very dark humor. Right. But as it continues within probably the hour, then the actual, the humor kind of slides away. And then there's crit- there's the critical conversation of, you know, we, we happen to have a, a trainee with us. So we're, you know, kind of instructing the trainee on, here's what you look for. Here's how you manage that. Here's how you manage this. And then there was just kind of the, damn, that sucks. That kid was, you know, only 19 years old and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so as it progressed, it got, I mean, it was honest from the get-go. Yeah. But if you were, if you were to film it and show it to somebody, they, I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there is that. There's true, honest debriefing. But the, I guess what when I think of like the formal debriefing, it's, it's never that I, I've had that one time in my entire life. And it was, uh, when I was in college, we had, a our quarterback was during summer weights. Um, great dude. Um, his name was Matt. He plays on, um, a, Olymp- a Paralympic basketball team. Just good. Actually, we need to have him on sometimes. He's just a cool dude. But uh, we were lifting weights. He was doing some squats, was standing up, came back down, had about 300 pounds on, fell straight to his butt, broke his back, paralyzed from oh, the waist down. Fuck. Happened in front of all of us. Um, it, it sucked. And just his career was gone just like that. Um, and the, the university brought in like a <laughs> – it, it, how many times have we talked about cultural competency? Mm-hmm. But just some psychologist that I'm sure was willing to do it that had the greatest intentions – and it just, you know, just kind of around the room, how does everybody feel? Mm-hmm. What did you think about? Like, just so, if it was a standardized test of debriefing, that's what it was. Yeah. And I, that whenever someone says that, that's what I always think, and I just have such a negative connotation in my mind for it because of that incident. That's like the one true one I've really had. Yeah. When I've had 10 times more significant things happen on this job, but they are surrounded by the kitchen table. And... Truthfully, I mean, it would be hard for me, I think, now, if if we did have, you know, during the next bad incident, if they said, hey, we're going to do a debriefing, we're going to have someone come in, we're looking at almost 10 years of just stigma of that one incident that has just grown in me. Mm-hmm. It would be hard, I think, to set that aside and have a constructive debriefing yeah. at this point. Well, we talked about that the other day whenever we were talking about... Uh, cultural competency and stuff and you know well you weren't here it was whenever you were in moab having fun having fun <laughs> yeah but having somebody come in and you know if you're gonna talk to them or whatever all it takes is that especially with our cultures is all it takes is that one bad experience right and that person is ruined like because it the word gets around yeah. And it's like, oh, you're having a problem? Yeah, well, don't go see that person mm-hmm. because they're worthless. They didn't know what the hell they were doing, blah, blah, blah. And they could have had the greatest intentions, but they don't know our culture. Yeah. And they don't, like, they just didn't get it, didn't, like, it just didn't go well. Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know. And there's there's some research um about the whole debriefing process for police and fire about not doing the group thing, doing it individually. Um, some groups are okay. Some groups aren't, you know, there's, and I think basically what it boils down to, what I've been able to take out of 
the reading that I've done is it goes back to it's individual. Right. You know, it's this group may be great and you can go do the debrief and everybody will get something out of it and everybody's open and they share and it's cool. And then you're going to go to this group and it's going to be the total opposite. It's going to just go over like a turd in the punch bowl. And well, for our, for our lines of work too, it's, there's kind of two types of debriefs. There's the operational and there's the mental health, right? right? Yeah. So we all have those large incidences where I think we, I, I, I don't know about law enforcement per se, but I, I think I would feel the same way that we would all sit down in a group thing and be like, hey, all right, here's where protocol worked. Here's where it didn't. Here's like, here's operationally how this event went. Here's things we could change. And that's where a group setting is good because you've got spitfire and ideas. Guys, hey, did you notice yeah. this? I saw this. That works. Mm-hmm. But how could you have that, especially if you think about a line of duty death? Mm-hmm. How could you successfully have that without involving the mental health aspect of it? I mean, they do it. They've been doing after action reports for a long time. And it's totally, it's like you said, they're looking at procedures and practices. What worked, what didn't, what went wrong. Okay, now we have to change this. And and that's all the meeting is about. You know, I've done one of those, I think, maybe two for fires that I've been to. It's like, okay, well, the whole district is together and we talk about, you know, what went right and what went wrong and what we need to do to fix it so it doesn't happen again. But the mental health thing is never talked about. That's it has to be kept separate from that. It, we we have mental health debriefs after like big incidents, and they're completely separate. Like they're they're just like that. Mm-hmm. We'll have we we may have an operational debrief, and that's going to be with like supervisors and command staff, and and just like that. What procedures worked? What didn't? What can we change? What can we do better next time? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's usually not necessarily folks on scene it could be um but that happens typically at like supervisory levels right um and the mental health stuff is the guys who were there obviously yeah um we'll have that after like big events or or really traumatic events like sometimes we have them with uh you know a fatality wreck or um you know or you have an infant death or something like that some like traumatic stuff um and we'll do ours in a group setting and they're not mandatory but the couple that I've been to, I've been surprised that were actually super helpful for me. So I have, I have a lot of like, uh, I'm kind of hard on myself when I'm going through something. Uh, so I have a lot of self-doubt in that like, why am I upset about this when it seems like other people aren't? That mm-hmm. kind of like harmful thinking, you know? Yeah. So when I'm in a group setting and they go around and they ask these questions and just one other person chimes up and says, hey... I'm, this is how I feel about this. Then it tells me, oh, shit, it's okay to feel like that. It's I'm not the only person who's struggling or going through this. No. you know. So that's the couple that I've been in have been super beneficial for me. Yeah. Um, well, and see, and that's the big lie, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. It's the, I'm the only one that feels this way. Yeah. I'm the only one that I, I'm, everybody else is managing right. it. Why, why aren't I? Yeah, I've got you to know? hide it. I, I've got to not talk about it because other people are just fine and that's not the case. We're just, yeah. We just have this facade going on. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, and it's, it's part of that, you know, and we've talked about it, but it's that mentality and the, the personality traits or yeah. the personality types that come into this field. Yeah. We're the helpers. We're the doers. We don't need the help. Yeah. We're going to help everybody right. and I'm fine. Yeah. So, and then whenever it starts getting in your brain, 
why am I not fine? Why am I not fine? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you, you have fine, compl- bro. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Especially when when you have complicated emotions too. Like I went since I've been in peer support, I've gone and I've done a couple of debriefs for other departments, and one I did with a department where they lost a couple of officers, and this was a place where they their peer support wasn't like where as far progressed as we were and as as a lot of places are now. This was several years back. And everybody came into that room with the idea of, I'm not fucking talking. I don't need to be here. I don't know what's going on. And at least, like, it wasn't psychiatrists in there. It's 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 fellow cops that, that do it, right? Yeah. So when we got in there, and it just took, like, one person talking, and then finally everybody was talking. And there was there were some folks that had some anger towards one of the officers that was lost. Like, why did you do this? Why did this have to happen? And they were dealing with that stuff internally, but that wasn't something they were comfortable saying out loud to their peers because – Maybe they thought that's not a feeling I should be having or a thought I should be having, right? Well, nobody wants to speak ill of the dead. Right. Even if they were a colossal fuck up. Right. You know, it's still, well, he was a good guy. Right. Well, no, he did this and that's why this happened. That's what what NIOSH is for. Yeah. They'll do it for you. (laughs) Yeah. But when you have complicated emotions or you're feeling something you feel like you shouldn't be feeling or thinking something you th- think you shouldn't be thinking, to, to understand that somebody else is also going through that is super helpful. Yeah. Well, but it's I, not for everybody. Yeah. And it, but I think that's why peer support is so valuable. Yeah. Even the informal version, you yeah. know, of just having that conversation with your crew. Right. You know, or your partner or whoever being able to be open and honest and have that conversation with, Hey, we're just going to talk about this and then we'll see where it goes. That's so invaluable. And I think by being able to do that, I think you head off some problems that could develop later. Oh yeah. You know, I think a lot of, (laughs) I don't want to say a lot, but a lot of the issues that we face in our professions, as far as mental health goes, are self-inflicted. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Because if we would just get out of our own way mm-hmm. and talk about the shit yeah. and stop using horrible coping mechanisms to, you know, the alcohol, the drugs, the whatever you want to, you know, we just put a bunch of crap on a dartboard and throw it at it and somebody's done it. <laughs> you know? Every, I every but, time we start listing those things, I always think of that. That see that opening scene from the other guys were like all the sex with women that we have to have oh, and we don't yeah, want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Like, just, every time we do that, I just always aim for the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't help it. Like I can't hear that with a straight face anymore. So so in this in this scenario, are you Sam Jackson and I'm the Rock, or are you I the Rock so. and I'm Sam Jackson? <laughs> Sorry, my immaturity. Uh. Please forgive us. <laughs> No, but I mean, I that's that's my viewpoint. Right, wrong, whatever. I think if we would just be a little bit more open and honest and have the conversations, yeah. it could head off a lot of that stuff and do it early. Oh yeah. You know, don't wait until you're ten years in, even five years in. Yeah. You know, because by then, your your pattern's kind of set. Mm-hmm. And like you know, we've talked about for every single step, one step that you take down that path. It's 10 steps to get back. Mm-hmm. And it's so much harder. Right. And you're bucking the culture part of the way. Yeah. Because I don't know how it is. I would assume, I don't want to assume, but it's kind of the same with law enforcement, like going out drinking and doing all that stuff is 
maybe not encouraged, but mm-hmm. it's definitely accepted. Yeah. Yeah. It's just part of the culture yeah. of, hey, we're going to get together after work or we're going to have a crew day out. Or, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go to the ball game and get fucked up. And right. then we're going to go to the bar and get fucked up. Go on a float trip, get fucked up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the whole. I like whole... her. She's my friend now. <laughs> yeah. That's how, you know, our, it just, it's a vicious circle. Yeah. And it just keeps coming back around. Yeah. So. I, I still, I struggle in having you saw this when I got burned, right? Yeah. My reaction to like going unmodified or doing anything else was no, fuck that, not doing it. Uh, uh-uh, uh, no, mm-hmm. forget it. Yeah. And that's what's easy in our line of work with the physical injuries. Are they are they are objective? The mental health is always subjective, and I know a lot of people, same as you guys, that they don't want to. It's not so much. I mean, they feel like their feelings are almost selfish. Yeah. And. And the great debate is whether they are or not. And I think we still have to take a realistic look and say, like, this is appropriate to feel. This is not appropriate to feel. So, But I don't know that any of us could ever really put our finger down on what is or isn't. Because, again, it's subjective for the person, for the incident. Well, so I'll pose this question to both of you. Okay. So how many people, how many calls can you run if you have two broken legs? That's zero. Right? It's a cop. Who knows? They don't do a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right. Set in a car, right? Yeah. Right. yeah, set yeah. Car. We just make sure it's safe so you can come in. You don't, yeah. have, to, you you don't have to have legs to hold a radar gun. <laughs> <laughs> so, but do, do you get my point of it's an injury? And if you don't take the time to heal that injury, you're of no use to anybody. Yeah. And your mind is the same way. If you're not taking the time to work out your mind, keep it right. Who are you helping? You Don't become part of the emergency. What's interesting, though, is how do you fix two broken legs? It's time. Yeah, but, but there's or a... Or surgery. Yeah, sir, yeah. Like, right? right? Yeah. Like, there are... It's one or the other. Like, we know how to fix broken legs. We've been doing it for years. Medicine has pretty well fine-tuned it. Mm-hmm. How do you How do you fix PTSD? There's 20 different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to find the one that works for you, and that's the important part, is finding the one. And being so, and this is a thing that a but lot of people. Gotta, but you think about it too, Jeremy. If if there's twenty different ways to fix a broken leg, by the time you found the way to fix your leg, it might be too late. Yeah. Or it might just be easier to live life with your two broken legs and just keep trying and getting your hopes up and it not working out. I'm not saying well, you shouldn't try. I'm just like we got to so, look at it in the realm of mental health. Right. So here's the thing: a lot of people will. They'll go to one treatment modality, yeah. like talk therapy, or they'll do EMDR one time, or they'll go to a group or, you know, pick your, pick your poison. Well, that didn't work. Okay. You tried it one time. And then you got the other people who will, that's all they'll do. They'll go to talk therapy for years and not get any better whenever if they'd have just went and did EMDR one time, they'd have been fixed 10 years ago. It's having being an advocate for yourself. And I'm not saying you cut it off immediately. If one time doesn't work, then you move on to something else. You have to give it time to, to work, right? You got to try it. It's like medicine. You got antibiotics. You got to take it for seven to 10 days. You take it for seven to 10 days. You don't stop after day two. Take it to zombie apocalypse. <laughs> it is. I'm telling you. Yeah. 
It's because we ain't taking our damn antibiotics. Yeah. So, but you have to give treatment time to work. And just like whenever you have your surgery for your broken leg, you have to give it time to heal. And it's going to be different for everybody. And realizing that is a step in the right direction. That's a step towards healing in and of itself. We just do a shit job of promoting it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like, we all, like I said, we all know what to do with two broken legs. Yeah. You say, hey, did you hear what happened? Yeah, he's probably going to have surgery. Or, I mean, we don't sit at the fire station. Hey, did you hear about Jeremy? He had that bad call. Yeah, I bet he, I bet EMDR is going to be his thing. I don't know. You know, talk therapy might, like, right. we don't have those conversations. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, well, well, I don't know about you guys, but at least for us, like, if you're, there's been a couple of times where we've had somebody like go on light duty or desk duty or whatever you guys call it, um, because of like some mental health stuff. And that was always looked on like, wow, is he like fucking suicidal? Is he like, what's wrong with him? And it was always looked upon really, really poorly. And what was so, filled me with so much joy, uh, several months back, this was this year, we had somebody have to go on desk duty for something, something had happened in their life and they were having some mental struggles and they were just taking some time to deal with it. And instead of having that attitude, everybody at the department was like, wow, she's been through so much. I'm wishing her the best. Like, I hope she gets through this. And it was just a complete fucking shift. And I, it was just out of nowhere, it seemed like. And it was so encouraging that we're, we have done so much work over the last several years to shift our perspectives. Because yeah. that was always what it was. Like, oh, well, he's fucking crazy. He's not allowed, you know, he can't have his gun. He's on death duty for, like, psycho shit. Or he's yeah. milking you know? it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, and that's where I think you guys are definitely on the right track. Your culture has shifted to that point because, I mean, and I'll be honest, in our department, it's a 50-50 shot. Yeah. You're going to have guys who, or girls, that are like, man, I hope they get better. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have the other 50% go, ah, they're always on modified. Yeah. They're just, you know. Playing game in the system, how whatever. Bad, how bad is it up yeah. north? Right. How bad yeah. is it down yeah. south? Yeah. 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 And this so. is the first time that I had ever in my career experienced that with somebody going on, on death duty for that. And that was amazing. I hope we stayed that course because that was just, that was really encouraging to, to see. And then anybody me, else that goes through that will see that and be like, okay, maybe it's okay for let, me to do Let me it. ask you this, though. Was that individual transparent what about what was going on so that those oh, yeah. that, and see, that's that's another catch twenty two. Do I have to be transparent with what's fucked up in my life just for you to accept it? Mm. I mean, that's a good question. You know, like as soon as she said, I mean, that, you post yeah. everything on Facebook, so <laughs> but I mean, like as soon as yeah. as soon as she was saying that, I was like, yeah, yeah, I bet people liked her, and she was transparent about what was going on. Yeah. And we're so gossip and drama driven that, like, if folks aren't tuned into what's going on, then all these rumors are going to fly and be like, oh, well, maybe this happened. Well, maybe this happened. And then that's where people's attitudes are going to go. Yeah. Not to, oh, wow, yeah, what happened was, was messed up. I can understand why they feel that way. I, I, they need some help. Good for them. Like, it's it's almost like you can't have privacy and transparency. You can have yeah. one or the other. If you get your privacy, yeah. you, get the, you open up the rumors. If you want the transparency, you lose your privacy. Not saying that's how it should be. It's just, but hey, yeah. it's that's a step. Yeah, yeah. Like it used to just be, doesn't matter what. Right. We yeah. were all you're all pussies, but yeah. at least yeah. this is a step. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. So and if and we then, as as more senior folks in our fields can get with our younger folks as they come on as they go through this traumatic stuff. 
and start them down that path, we have the ability to really shift where our cultures go. Like, um, when I, I very first got hired my first year, I saw like an awful, uh, murder suicide and I was with a senior crew and I anticipated that I would have to be like, you know, I, I had all the stereotypes of law enforcement when I came in of you have to just tough it out and, and man up and you can't talk about it. And these real senior guys came to me and were like, that was really messed up what we had to see. Like, are you doing okay? just checking in with me? But I was too stupid to open up about it and, and accept the help they were giving me. And it well, was just I had this wall up and I was like, I'm not going to let you break that down. So I then ended up dealing with it years later and just suffering for much longer than I had to. Whereas once I figured out, I could just go to talk to somebody. So I had an, another one. Obviously, I've had several. But years later, I would had one that was probably the worst one I'd ever seen. And immediately afterwards, I just found a closet. I cried for a minute. I went out. I found somebody. I talked to him about it. And I didn't think about it another day after that. It was just how if you can just find somebody, another cop, another firefighter that knows what it's like and just vent to him about all this crap that you saw, then just the ability to get it out you can close your eyes at night without seeing their face. Yeah. You know, but that's a, that's a perfect example of people being ready to talk about it. Yeah. And people not. Yeah. So, I mean, even as senior people, yeah, you can go lay the, the foundation of, Hey, if you need to talk about this, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm here. Right. It's up to them to take it. Right. Now, if they come in, like you had preconceived notions of this and that and the other, it might be a little bit tougher. Right. I think it, it's upon us as senior people to kind of stay after them a little bit. Right. You know, to say, no, this is, it's really okay. Yeah. We're not busting your balls. We're not going to hammer right. you. I yeah. mean, you can sit here while we talk about it because yeah. it was fucked up and we're going to talk about it. Yeah. So. We do it to ourselves though. Like if you think back to your academies, it is 99.9%. Hey, shut the fuck up. You don't have an opinion. You're new. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit. And point oh one percent of, but if you're having problems, make sure you talk about it. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But because, but what's weird is like you still have to maintain that. Hey, shut the fuck up. You don't have an opinion. Like, listen and learn, especially in our jobs. Like, yeah, these people with time on have a lot to teach you. Keep your mouth shut and your ears open. You have two ears and one mouth. But, Use them proportionally. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, like, still, like, it's 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 yeah. hard. It's a hard yeah. balance to play. I don't know the perfect balance for it. But. Well, that's where leadership comes in. What's that? That's yes. <laughs> it's what I exhibit every day. Mm. Just classy, classy leadership. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, and really, but that's where leadership at every level in your organization comes in from, you know, the, the two year person or the three year person or the four year person all the way up to your sergeants and your captains. And, you know, if you're on the fire side, you know, drivers, captains, senior firefighters, all the way up to chiefs and stuff, you need to have leadership in every level of your organization yeah. that is giving the same consistent message. So whenever you, James, as a five-year, seven-year, what are you now, five? Five-year firefighter. Ooh, whenever oh, wait, 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 five and a half. Oh, five and a half. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to short you that six months. A good leader would know. Dude, shut the fuck up. You don't have enough time on it. <laughs> so, but, you know, you're an FTO. You train people, the new medics, don't you? Right. So whenever you've got a new medic under you, even though you only have five years, it's still, you still have to exhibit leadership. I saw a meme the other day on Facebook. 
and it was a Semitic page I follow, and it was mm-hmm. a picture of Forrest Gump when he's talking to Jenny in the apartment after he comes. Mm-hmm. And it was like me when I get assigned a new trainee, and it's like, is he smart or is he like me? And I was like, <laughs> fuck, that's me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, okay, so back on topic. <laughs> that's so, so true. But you know what I'm saying, uh-huh. though? It's it's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility as your captain to be like, okay, James, are you making sure that you're being a leader to this guy and you're showing him to do it the right way and you're doing this? I shouldn't have to tell you that. We should have went over that day one. These are my expectations for you. I expect you to do this. You know better than I do what that medic needs to know. Can we agree on that? Actually, no. Um, and hear me out. I'm not trying to be a dick about it. Mm-hmm. When it comes to clinical, yes. Like, and that's what I'm talking but, about. But it's you know as well as I do in your in our OJT and our FTO process, clinical is the half of it. Yeah. Like, you as still as my leader are responsible responsible for developing me as a leader. A- absolutely. Um, maybe not in the clinical aspect because you're not a medic, but there are still other things that like, yeah, sometimes – I know how to train this guy to our protocols and blah, blah, blah. But there are some times, and that's happening with me right now. Like with my captain, I'm I'm like talking over here, and then I'm like, hey, am I doing this right? Is this it's good? Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Keep doing it. <laughs> good. Yeah, okay. You know, like it's just some of that give and take because I'm, I'm learning right. too. Right. So, yeah. And I'm not, dis- I'm not discounting that, and I'm not saying that that's not the protocol or that's not what needs to happen. What I'm saying is that you have to be able to do that. Yeah. Because technically you're supervising that person. So, and I don't expect you to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You know, I don't know anybody that does. But I have to be willing as a leader, just like you have to be willing as a leader, to go find help, you know, to find the answer to whatever it may be. I'm very good at it. Man, that's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Google. Hey Siri, <laughs> but yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm curious too, kind of what this pandemic has done. I don't even say I say pandemic, but I by that I just mean the last two years. Yeah. In both our jobs, it's really I I think where this job is going has kind of the leadership of both of it, I think, is having a hard time catching up, right? Like, we were used to the norms in these jobs, and all of a sudden now, just kind of the top's blown off of it, and leaders are like, whoa, whoa, where are we going, where are we going? You look at it in fire and EMS, just with the healthcare aspect of the pandemic. But you also look at it equally in the same timeline, law enforcement, really the culmination of the Mike Brown effect, especially highlighting with George Floyd. For every critic, though, I found of law enforcement in the last two years, I've also found a person that has said, I didn't realize all this went on. Because why we're harping or why we're trying to expose the bad things that uh, allegedly law enforcement do or what we don't like about them, we're also kind of showing people what they actually have to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, you know, after George Floyd, it was cool for the media to be like, oh, look, this cop might have done something wrong. And we'd hurry up and throw half a video clip out there and spin a narrative. And 99% of the time, the truth came out and we were like, oh, yeah, that's what they have to deal with. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the 
guy that pulled the taser on the cops in Atlanta and was shot and killed her. Jacob Blake that tried to pull the knives on the cops after, you know, and got shot after he beat up some, like we show this little clip and more and more people are taking the time to educate themselves and pulling the blinders back a little bit. And I, I think now our management and both don't have the luxury of just hiding all the bad shit that we have to do. Like, Hey, cool t-shirt. Women love you. Free yeah. <laughs> coffee at quick trip. Yeah. And we're like, yeah. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, like I said, the top's blown off and the public is really kind of exposed to what we're doing. And, I mean, unfortunately, we've kind of seen it in our numbers of people applying. Applicants, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because people understand, like, wow, this isn't such a, like, glorious job. Like, we get to do some cool stuff, but there's also a lot of really awful stuff that we have to deal with. And the more people are aware <laughs> not, of not that, fa- not the less fam, people don't want to do it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. not to mention the potential especially for you guys of just doing your job can get you sent to prison. Yeah. But now, so, you know, I've seen, or I mean our uniform, it's, it's a bit target on our back. Like mm-hmm. the amount of times we'll just get shot in the back of the head just for nothing. Yeah. yeah. And you have to be aware of that. And there, it used to be that you would come to that realization while you were in field training. And now it's the public is becoming aware of that. Yeah. So the amount of people that are willing to, to do that job has definitely decreased. Yeah. But I and mean, the public expectation of the police has also dramatically changed. And we have to change with that because mm-hmm. we only have our authority to do our jobs from the public. So if the public as a whole decides that we want our police to do something differently, then we have to take that seriously. So there, there definitely have been changes for us through the last several years with the pandemic. But one of our a big struggle for us that isn't quite so hyped is training. Because during COVID, we almost kind of effectively stopped. It same for us. Like yeah. we moved strictly we to online. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I'm sorry, but online training, especially for our jobs. Our jobs, it it is not right. Let's just say it's not optimal. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, not applicable. All, it's, yeah. Right. I mean, you can watch somebody break down a door a million times. Right. What Doesn't if, mean you're going to be, and most of us are hands-on. Well, yeah. look at both like, of our academies. You know, like you guys are doing defensive techniques on each other. We're mm-hmm. actually breaking down doors. We're like a computer screen cannot simulate 500 degrees in a room. Right. A computer screen cannot simulate an aggressive attacker coming at you in the split second decision you have to make. Yeah. You know, no matter how many buttons you have to click, how fast or whatever, it's not the same. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's your, but you're a thousand percent right public. They're like, well, we need better training. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. We're waiting on it too. Right. Yeah. Well, well especially I mean, in the height of COVID, even field training when they were working the street with another cop, we weren't fucking taking calls. Like it had to be somebody like a domestic incident. Somebody's getting beat up. Somebody, something is happening right now. Like just about everything was taken over the phone. Unless we had to be there and something was in, like, it was so dramatically different than anything we'd ever done. Same for us. And as we go back, now we have these folks that have been cops for two years and we're just now starting to take some of these calls again and they've never done it before. So, I mean. We had, uh, for us, ours was, we were sending one person in the house on medical calls. Oh, wow. Talk about being a fucking canary. I hated it. I'm walking in there all suited up and everyone's like. Look, and I'm like, yeah. hope, I, hope I make it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, you know, we had Dude, these I new guys that. that were on OJT or hadn't even really been broken on the ambulance yet. Or, I mean, there were some guys that came on, went through their floating time, went straight to a pumper, really didn't do a lot of ambulance time, and they're standing in the yard. Like, 
just their EMS skills per se, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, what do you need? That's what they got really good at. Yeah. Do you guys have cops run your medical calls with you guys? Um, it depends. D- yeah, it depends. Yeah. So, I'm, like when I worked in some an old department before this one, it was they they were slower, so they came with us mm-hmm. on everything. Just yeah. Um, but here it's yeah. Uh, many what we call our stage calls, so like mm. unknowns, which right. Some of them are dumb. Yeah. Well, like two, we had... two eighty-year-olds getting in a fight at the nursing home stage for PD. Why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you know, we had to check the welfare yesterday that we they wanted us to stage on. Hmm. Like, okay, well, why are we staging? Well, daughter hasn't heard from dad in a day. We're not staging on right. that. Yeah. You know, that's on the list of my thinking of things that may harm my crew. Mm-hmm. That's pretty far down the list. Right. You know. But then I had one like last week. It was cardiac arrest and forty-one-year-old male and. We go pulling up to the house, which looks sketchy as fuck anyway. <laughs> yeah. And then, know your area, James. Yeah. Yeah. You and know where we, you work. I was on the I was on the east east side. Not the bad east side, the east east side. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we go walking up, we're like, and there's some like lady crying on the porch. She's like, He's in there, he's not breathing. Would we like to guess why he wasn't breathing? Cause the claw of a hammer was stuck out of his fucking head. Oh shit. Oh. Yeah. That uh, <laughs> that'll yeah. do it. Yeah, that's that's counterindicative to so, life. Yeah, <laughs> mechanism of injury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, like I'm so mad because we like come we're, we're like backing out of the house like quick as shit. We're leaving bloody boot prints now, and <laughs> PD is like sprinting up. And they're like, "What are you doing?" We're like, "Uh, like, why'd you guys go in there?" Like, listen, <laughs> <laughs> we just got this as a code, which it is. But there's more to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See what happened was. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. We uh, that was during the height of COVID. We would be running calls um with with fire and medical, and that was a complete change for us. And that like we would go to the medical calls, and we would stage, and y'all would go in on medicals and be like, hey. We need you. We don't need you. It's safe for you to come in here. Y'all need to mask up. Like, it was so flipped. Oh, why did we take was, advantage of that amazing. son of a bitch? It was so funny. It was like, hey, we're going we're gonna, to, like, stage, and y'all can let us know if it's safe. Like, that was, it was such oh, a weird time. Why didn't our city do that? <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, it, it was, like, it was. I, I tell you, we weren't fucking going in. Like, I, I will never forget, for us, it, here in our city, it was, like, a f- Three month lull from March when it started till Memorial Day week, and I remember it yeah. like it it was yeah. like a ghost town. Yeah. yeah, everything really slowed down. Yeah, like we were getting nights in on the ambulances, and so like randomly somebody would call for bullshit and like toe pain, and we'd be like, "I mean, we can take you to the hospital, but you could probably die of COVID." No, man, I'm good. Okay. Cool. Uh-huh. And then. I remember Memorial Day weekend after the riots on the plaza and George Floyd, it just exploded. Yeah. yeah. And it's like we have never recovered from it. Yeah. But violence skyrocketed. Like, it's just like the whole public were like, we're free! <laughs> and then yeah. we've been on a two-year-long purge. Like, that's what it fucking feels like, truthfully. <laughs> it's, I have seen things these last two years where I'm just like, the fuck? <laughs> yeah. But, and it's only gonna, I, and I think the trend is only gonna continue to go upwards with call volume, the types of stuff that we're running. Yeah. I mean, let's all be honest. Police, you guys are short staffed. <laughs> oh yeah. It's not like criminals don't know that. Right. 
you well, know? And I yeah. just saw our department's FOP today, just on Facebook, released their below minimum staffage shortages. Mm-hmm. Over, like, I was just like, holy well, shit. I just found out how far down staffing we are the other day, in actuality. We'll talk about that off camera. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's disturbing, yeah. to say the least, of how we're managing to move along and just keep this thing going on bailing wire and duct tape right. for how long? Yeah. Two weeks. Two weeks to flatten the curve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I, I don't see it stopping. I mean, our call, vol- our call volumes just for us since I've come on the job have more than tripled. Yeah. And it's going to continue to go up. Just in my five years, we went from, I think, 100000 to 150000 Yeah. Oh, wow. Like so, yeah. It's it's not going anywhere, and I mean we're trying to keep up with you know hiring new people and getting people in. But I mean, as fast as we can hire people, we have people retire. Oh yeah, you know, or just so, leave, or just leave, yeah. which never happened. Like my first, I'd say my first ten years on the job, I could count on one hand the number of people that left that either weren't seriously legitimately injured and could not do the job anymore or retired yeah if it was just somebody said i don't want to do this anymore and left that didn't happen yeah i mean it was extremely extremely rare and now it's like every month yeah oh yeah i got two years oh see ya bye yeah i came on 10 years ago and more than a third of our department was retirement eligible and they were just staying around and now the vast, vast majority of our patrol division is two years or less. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Because it's just constant turnover. That's yeah. kind of how it is with our EMS side, too. And I, I laugh all the time because, like, especially when I first came on, you know, we would show up to some emergency and here's a 23-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a couple 22-year-old cops. And we're like, they left the city in our hands? <laughs> they are stupid. <laughs> like, Stand by. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's just, but yeah, it's scary. Hell, dude, I worked the other day. Now I know why old people are so grouchy all the time. <laughs> I worked the other day with the two firefighters that I had legitimately could have been my kids. And not like I had them in high school kids. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, we're, we're all going to get through this together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... I don't know what it's like with you guys, but for us, like, all the agencies kind of in the metro, or it's kind of like a bidding war for everybody's officers. Like, it's just everybody's oh, yeah. changing their salary amounts. For our, and it's for just... our medics, that's that's definitely what it is. It's, yeah. uh, and, it, and it's hard, especially, like, kind of in your area versus our area, like, where there's money. Yeah. But it's it's one of those catch-22s. Like, you can go where the money, like Tyree Kill just did, for example. That uh, son yeah. of a bitch. What happened? Oh, did he uh, actually, yeah. did they trade him? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I heard, you, I saw earlier they were thinking about it. Yeah. But, I mean, you can chase the money, but it's like, what do you want? Do you want the call volumes or do you want the money? Yeah. Yeah. But what we're seeing more and more now, especially as we push mental health, hate to say it, like, yeah. I'm taking the money in the low call volume. Yeah. I'm taking the money and then going home and seeing my family not dead-ass exhausted. Yeah. And we can't fault them for it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're losing them for both because we, we used to be the highest paid and now we're one of the lowest and they're just not increasing it. They're just sticking it out and we can't convince them otherwise. So we're losing them for the higher pay and we're losing them to you guys yeah. for the comp volume. 
being able to you know chase cars and kick doors in and do all kinds of fun stuff that <laughs> we don't get to do all that often so but yeah it's there's like it's like a sense of pride but it's not necessarily constructive you know like we go to the other hospitals and <laughs> like three in the morning and i'm rolling out and like bunker gear and like a dirty ass shirt and a hat and i got some drunk we're taking the hospital and there's like your suburban department with their nice tucked in polos i'm like <laughs> you fuckers don't even know <laughs> you have uh, no idea yeah <laughs> i feel like i would like i would i would have loved the high speed low drag when i was younger so it makes sense for me when these 21 22 23 year olds go to it now i'm just like i am way too fucking tired to deal with that shit i'm just keep me where i'm at and not to mention going through an academy again i can't imagine some of these people that go through an academy go through all of that and then leave and go through another academy i'm just i'm doing that once yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> yep you're gonna have to pay me a lot of money to get me to do that again <laughs> yeah i don't think it's realistic how much they would have to pay me yeah. <laughs> to do well, that especially again. like going to some of these like suburban departments where they're like yeah i'm like hey motherfucker <laughs> shut up <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm 31 years old. You ain't going to talk to me like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then James will be looking for a new job. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's not acceptable there. And I'll go on to the next uh, job. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, what is going on with Swell? What's the next big thing? Yeah. So, uh, we've got two things um, that we are uh, currently fundraising for. One is we have a fighter fair trip that we're going to be taking folks out uh, on a surf mission trip. Um, to California. And then we have, um, we've partnered with um, the Police Athletic League in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done that once before where we've taken a group of kids from the inner city area. Mm -hmm. um, and we have, over the course of several months, taught them to swim at like a local YMCA. Uh, and then we take them uh, and their families out to California and we teach them to surf. And uh, kind of along the same lines of getting you out of your environment and introducing you to new things. Um, and it's kind of like a bonding experience for those kids that are like roughly the same age, kind of from the same area, um, but kind of along the same lines of like, like I said, getting you out of your out of your environment and, and teaching you something new. Obviously, the goal for them is a little bit different, um, but most of these kids have experienced significant traumas in their very young lives, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, so it does help to get them in a place where they can kind of forget about kind of all the crap that's going on. Um, but we're getting ready to do our second trip with that. So we're going to take those kids and we're going to get ready to start teaching them to swim again and a uh, whole different group of kids. Um, so like I said, we partner with PAL on that uh, and they come out and they help us and get them to where they could be comfortable, somewhat comfortable in the ocean and take them out. And uh, it's really cool to see how quick the kids catch on surfing than the adults <laughs> do. Because typically everybody we send out has never surfed before. And these kids, within the first hour, they're up on the board and they're going. And just as an adult, to see that is like, okay, that's kind of crazy how coordinated you could be at that age and how mm -hmm. quickly you can catch up with it. Being able to learn new skills is definitely, you're more able to do that the younger that you are. It's oh, like yeah. playing an instrument. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's really cool. We just did, um, for our first uh, PAL trip, we just put together a big um, video. We kind of hired a production company, and they put together this video that kind of showcased everything we were able to do with them, and that's kind of a, a promotional video that we have. Um, but, yeah, we're also going to do our firefighter trip, and that's that's more of our basic why we exist. Our primary of what we do is we take folks that 
um, are either military or first responders. And we take them out of their environment and take them out to, to the beach in California, teach them how to, how to surf and get them away from the gunk at home for a little bit and just get to relax and, and have a good time. So cool. I'm, I'm still not doing it. <laughs> oh, you're doing it. I'm not doing Whenever it. Jeremy, oppor- we've talked about this. Our There's sharks. I'm uh-huh. not doing it. It's fine. Okay, I may or may not show you a picture then. Rob, Rob <laughs> I'm said, not fucking doing it. Rob said no one's ever been bit. Yeah. Jeremy, how many black that people how many black people went on this trip? We've had at Dude, least one. This is not deep blue sea. Yeah. I, you're not Sam Jackson. You're LL Cool J in this movie. You live. Uh, <laughs> from my first trip, there's a picture of me out in in the ocean on my surfboard, and behind me, there's several fins in the water. They were dolphins. Get fucked, I'm not they doing it. They were dolphins. <laughs> no, she's lying. No. She's lying. Well, I'm still here and have all of my limbs. Because you, you could what. probably swim faster than right. me. Not Dude. faster than a shark, bro. I'll tell you what. We'll get a drone. Because so, you can see them down in the... And, and so we do. I'll fly, we have a drone out yeah, there, yeah. I'll fly the drone, and I'll you, we'll give you a little two-way communication, <laughs> and I'll be like, okay. Oh, you want me to trust you now? 10 degrees to the port side. <laughs> You're good, right. bro. Right. Not doing it. Yeah. I will stand on that beach. I will cheer you motherfuckers on so loudly. <laughs> and I'll yell when I see a shark. Uh, but I do. <laughs> man. If they had mm-hmm. a lot of dolphins out there. That was like when they're clustered up like that, they're dolphins. If there was just one. I mean, I had a, a little bit of pucker power there for a minute. But when there's just one, that's when you need to worry. When they're kind of clumped together like that. It just means feeding frenzy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what man i'm not doing it <laughs> oh such a debbie downer no pick anything else i literally i don't know if you saw a picture i just hung off a three thousand foot cliff with my winch because it was cool i'm not fucking with sharks no not I the sharks man it's the water yeah oh, you get water. hit in the face with a big ass wave that drags you under that's what you need to worry about i can swim i just can't swim faster than sharks. i can swim It'll, it, some of these can knock you down. You got to be careful. The ocean is different. Yeah. Okay, great. the little pond great. you grew thanks, up swimming thanks in. Thanks for pro- still continuing to prove my point. We'll get you some water wings. You'll be fine. Yeah. You want to talk, you yeah, wanna talk about PTSD? Little, little I'm going to have PTSD from this goddamn trip. That's what I'm going to have. <laughs> I'm going to have to seek counseling for the counseling I went and sought. Uh, <laughs> don't be a pussy. Suck it up. No. <laughs> you are right, validating right. my feelings. Right. <laughs> Uh, Everybody else do it. You're Me, such a I'm millennial. Not oh. not... Yep, I said it. <laughs> oh, so all you Gen Xers or Gen Yers or whatever the hell were just fine with dying by sharks? Dude, you have more of a chance. Jaws was that era, not ours. I think there's more... more fear of sharks in, yeah. in that era. You got more of a chance of dying. Deep Blue Sea fucked me up. You got more of a chance dying in your Jeep. Than yeah. you do of getting eaten by mm-hmm. a shark. And you know what happens if I die in my Jeep? Mm-hmm. I'll be in a happy place. You know what's going to happen is I'm getting eaten by sharks. You're going to see two middle fingers <laughs> popping out of the water towards you guys. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. That's, oh, not, I a happy, told that's you. not a happy place for me. <laughs> uh, so what you're saying is there's a chance. You're open to the possibility. Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Figured. All right. Well... Rachel, any closing thoughts, anything you'd like to leave us with? 
Um, just, uh, it's with us being in, in Kansas and talking about like first responders and military and surfing, there's a bit of a disconnect when, when we talk with folks. So just trying to get out there that surf therapy not only exists, but it's scientific fact that it does significantly help with PTSD, with trauma, with mental health in general. Um, there've been all kinds of studies on it and we actually, um, we got to collaborate, super lucky, collaborate with, uh, an organization that does something similar over in the UK with their first responders. Um, and they're partnering with the university out there to continue the study into what they're doing specifically. Um, so it's real, it works, it's super beneficial. I've done it and I can tell you it's crazy, crazy amount of, of benefit to me with what I went through. Um, so just trying to get that information out to not only military and first responders in general, but to folks here in the Midwest where we, we don't think surfing and mental health, you know, uh, is just trying to get that narrative out there is, has been a little bit of a struggle, but just working on that super important. Yeah. And it's the, like we talked about the removing you from the environment. So important. So important. Yeah. Yeah, If, I mean, if, if, if I lived in California and I went and did the same thing, it wouldn't have had anywhere near the same benefit because I would have still been there, would have been going home at the end of every day, seeing my coworkers, seeing my friends, seeing his family. Uh, it's, you're still in that, in that place and can't escape it. And just being able to escape your environment and yourself and your own thinking while you're going through that, even just for a little bit was so beneficial. Where can folks find you on, or your cow on TikTok? Yeah, so <laughs> I'll put so, the link in the description. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. Um, so my TikTok with all my little farm animals and my famous little cow. She's um, at do the scarn. So do dot the dot scarn. And that's an office reference if you guys are office fans. So uh, that's uh, my personal for my farm. Um, and then swell is uh, at the swell mission on uh, Facebook and Instagram. James, parting I, thoughts. Um, a lot of good discussion. I feel like of all the cops we've had on, we picked her brain more, kind of than we have the others. It was, I don't know, it, it was good. Um, just kind of doing more of the kind of, especially the comparisons when it comes to like debriefing and onboarding and yeah. checkups between the comparisons between fire and law. Because so much we're like, oh, we do the same job; it's so similar, but which it is. Right. Yeah. But there are a lot of differences, which I thought we highlighted today. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. So, everybody. oh, and then let's not forget that they staged for fire. <laughs> yes, we yes. did. Yes, we did. All and right. I, I miss those days so much. I feel like there needs to be a meme once you're out of Facebook jail. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there is one. I'll try to find it and send it to you. Well, nothing beats the Sweet. nothing beats the fire department getting the PD guys stuck out of the elevator. That may or may not happen in our city. <laughs> I did yes. hear about that. Yeah, that one, that one is like the all time like. <laughs> come on it's just uh, trying to help some people out right. wasn't uh. malicious anyway all right so everybody you know we've had rob sanderson on um also with swell now rachel's been here with swell so you guys check them out donate support um they have a great mission so and we really stand behind them and support them as well if you are struggling reach out. There are resources out there. If you know somebody that is struggling, reach out, let them know, let them know that you care. Let them know what resources are out there. If you don't know what resources are out there, it's readily available. You can find it. Just ask somebody, ask Google. I don't care. (laughs) Just ask somebody. 
don't suffer in silence because like we talked about earlier, that's the big lie. You're not the only one that feels this way. Everybody goes through it. So get the help that you need. There's no shame in it. It's actually a strength. So thanks for stopping by and we'll see you next time.